can focus on you, learn of you. God, we open our hearts and our minds for you to teach us, to make yourself real to us, God. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, as always, we say, have your way. God, I pray that you would just um, lead me in the words to speak. And I just believe that every heart will be touched by your presence, by your Holy Spirit. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, You know, now, more than ever, um, we need to make sure that we have a solid foundation in Christ. Um, In these recent months especially, I've been reminded of that old hymn. Some of you might know it. Um, In times like these, we need a, a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock, and then it goes on. This rock is Jesus. He's the one. You guys know that that old song? It's been going on and on in my mind for, for months, and uh, it's just important to have that. You know, our hope in Christ is the anchor of our soul. You know, when an anchor, when you have like this big ship and they throw out the anchor, the ship might drift a little bit, but it comes back because the anchor is there. And um, in this day and age especially, our anchor has to be sure. Um, Thinking about the parable of the foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains came, and the rains could be um, the coronavirus came, bankruptcy came, sickness came, disease came, tragedy came, um, your kids falling away came. Um, The rains could mean all kinds of stuff, but the rains came, and because there was no solid foundation, that uh, his house fell. And so we never want to find ourselves in that that position. When you truly know what and in whom you believe, all these things can happen to you. The rain can come, but you are not shaken. You are still standing because you have roots in your foundation is solid. Um, you can't be moved like a tree planted by rivers of living water. You know, we've been hearing um, a lot about some pastors, very influential people, um, publicly renouncing their faith in Christ. Um, you know, just to, I mean, I don't think there's any harm in <laughs> naming names because they came out and publicly said it, but Marty Sampson from Hillsong, I was so grieved when I heard about him renouncing his faith in Christ and says he's not a believer anymore and he just thinks it's a bunch of baloney. I mean, he's written some amazing songs for Hillsong Australia, um, some songs that we probably still sing. Um, a, a really big pastor in Canada um, not too long ago, um, Hawk Nelson recently renounced his faith in Christ. Um, someone from, was it Jars of Clay? We were reading that article the other day. I think it was someone from Jars of, that, an old singer from an old group called Jars of Clay, renounced their faith. Um, uh, Rhett and Link, anybody ever heard of Rhett and Link? Um, They're kind of a young, like a YouTube internet comedy duo. Um, they came out of a large church, I think, in North Carolina. Um, I think they used to work there. I'm not 100% sure. But actually, their Christianity and their faith is actually what catapulted them into stardom. Like, your kids probably know who they are. Um, And they both have recently come out and publicly renounced 
their faith in Christ. Um, and I've just been so, so grieved. Uh, John Crowder, who's a well-known pastor, um, not David Crowder, John Crowder, <laughs> don't freak out. Um, anyway, he wrote this book about money, sex, beer, and God, and how partying and all of these things are totally okay. And um, and I've just been so, so um, saddened and, and grieved by it all, and just pondering, what in the world, Lord, what is going, what is going on? Because these people have so much influence. Um, they have a platform, and man, when we have any kind of platform whatsoever, even if it's just in our home and our kids, the influence that we are getting, we are responsible. And so I was just kind of really feeling fearful for these people who have um, renounced their faith. Um, you know, and then there's some that haven't necessarily renounced their faith, but they are preaching a lot of error. And I believe that there's the deceivers and the deceived, and only God knows the difference. But whenever we have any kind of position of influence at all, we are held um, very responsible for, for that. Uh, Matthew 7.15 says to beware, to be on guard um, of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inside they're ravenous wolves. Uh, Matthew 13 talks about the parable of the weeds. The man sowed good seed, um, but then when everyone was sleeping, the enemy came in and sowed wheat, or, uh, weeds among the wheat. And then later on, Jesus, um, the disciples were like, tell us what this parable means. And he says, um, well, the man is the, the son of God. The um, you know the good seed is the son of the, or the sons of the kingdom. The bad seed are the sons of the enemy. The enemy is the devil. The um, the end of, the harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. And he goes on and, and, and tells them what's going to happen and how in the very end they separate the wheat from the tares. Um, Matthew 24 talks about Jesus is telling them false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders. Okay, false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead people astray. So if you're not rooted and grounded, you will be easily swayed. It says even, it says if possible, even the elect would be um, led astray. And Jesus said, see, I have told you beforehand, like you've been warned, okay? This is coming. Second um, Thessalonians 2, Paul was talking to the Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica there. They were afraid. These Thessal uh, Thessalonians were afraid that the day of the Lord had already come. So Paul comes to set them straight and correct the error in their believing. And he said, the day of the Lord has not come, in order for the day of the Lord to come, these two things must first happen. Number one, there will be a great apostasy or a great falling away. There will be a, some uh, translations call it a rebellion. There's going to be a big rebellion. It doesn't say that things are going to get better in the end. It says they're going to get worse. So he was saying there's going to be a great apostasy. Many are going to fall away. And um, the Antichrist will be revealed. The Antichrist or the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, um, is how he is referred to. 
Matthew 24, Jesus warns the disciples again concerning the final days. It says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray, and they will hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many um, because the increase of great wickedness, the love of most, the love of most will grow cold. And, you know, I have been talking to a lot of people lately. Even my parents were just here, and we were having some conversations about this. And I just was telling them how, um, how good I feel in my heart about the choices I've made and how good I feel about the church that I go to and the friends that I run with and the friends that my kids run with and the youth group that my kids attend. And, I mean, I, I feel like I am in a safe, solid, solid place. And uh, I'm just so, so grateful, <clears throat> so grateful for that. Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, some seeds fell on rocky ground and immediately... It sprang up because there was no depth of soil. Then the sun came out, scorched those plants, and they immediately withered because there was no root. And man has no excuse. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Their unrighteousness is suppressing the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, the scripture says. And as a parent especially... Um, all of these things have been really, really scary to me. Um, you know, it keeps you on your knees for sure. I've been having conversations with my kids about it every chance I get, like if we're in the car alone or if opportunities for conversation come up, just talking, that, talking to them about foundational, fundamental type things and just making sure that they're really grounded in what they believe and it's not just something that they've heard us talk about or say. I want to make sure they know and they understand the word. Um, young people, they just don't take our word for it anymore. They want proof, you know, and they will argue, and they can, and many are encouraged, like, in schools and stuff, and, like, what they see and hear on TV and media and all this stuff, you know, they're encouraged to find their truth, or you're encouraged to find your own truth, but there is no such thing as your own truth. There is one truth, and that is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, and period, end of story, right? There is no other truth. Um, that's it. It's just Jesus. And in Deuteronomy 6, it says, these words, <clears throat> I love this, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So that pretty much covers everything. So basically, it's your life. It's who you are. And not compartmentalizing your Christianity or what you believe, but it's who we are as a family, right? Um, this is just one of the reasons why we have to have a deep understanding of the Word of God and not have some surfacy, shallow interpretation of it. 
All scripture is breathed by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16. We should never approach the word um, carelessly. We should never handle it carelessly. We should never teach it carelessly. We should never quote it carelessly. God's word is holy. Um, We should revere it. We should hang on every word. My Bible is my most prized possession. Um, I love it, love it, love it. And it is alive and active. It is working. It is the truth. It's what we live by. Uh, The word of God, it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our pathway. So we get direction and instruction from it. It tells us where to go. Um, The scripture tells us to study, um, to show ourselves approved unto God, a a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, basically interpreting it accurately. There are so many gross misinterpretations of scripture out there, and maybe you just hear something and you hold on to that, and that's what you've believed your whole life, and you've never really read that scripture correctly. Um, But we um, we should go to the word with fresh eyes, And it should be ever-changing and transforming us to be more like Jesus. It should, the Word of God should convict us, um, not guilt trip us. There is a difference, but it should absolutely convict us. It should absolutely be pointing out things that are wrong, that need to change, that need adjusting. Because whenever God does show us those things, it's good. It's good. There's a blessing or there's something good on the other side. And when it comes to sin and things like that, God doesn't tell us not to sin or don't do this and don't do that because he's, you know, just some ogre up in heaven who's got all these rules. It's because sin hurts us and he loves us. It hurts us and it hurts other people. And so so God's word um, should absolutely convict us. The word of God, it's like a mirror. And I haven't even gotten to... Don't worry, we're not going to be here all night, but I haven't even gotten to the actual message yet. (laughs) I'm just laying a foundation, okay? The Word of God, it's like a mirror. You know, when you woke up this morning, when I woke up this morning, I looked in the mirror. If I would have just gotten dressed and just come here tonight, there is no telling what I would look like. You guys would see me, but I would have no idea what's going on. And so um, the Word of God is like that. Unless you're really in it, you don't really see things about yourself. And um, so when we're in it, it's changing. It's it's helping you see things clearly. It changes your perspective. It changes your attitude. Um, The word of God, you could have dirt on your face all day long and never even know it unless you look in the mirror. And so that's how we approach it. It's important to have roots, solid, deep foundation so that we won't be shaken And we need to be open to the truth no matter what. No matter what. When I go to read this Bible, like part of my prayer, and it's important to pray before you read. Um, You get more out of it, I think. But you say, Lord, no matter what, I'm open to truth, and I'm asking you to teach me. Because sometimes you might think a certain thing, and then you can find all kinds of scriptures to prove what you think. But that's not really what it says. Um, You know, I was thinking about this funny example. You know, sometimes you might think that you're looking pretty good until you see a picture of yourself. Does that ever happen? And you're like, 
oh my gosh, I gained 20 pounds and I clearly have been living my life and having a good old time and I didn't even know it until I saw the picture. And that's kind of what it's like when we read the word. I just love it so much. Um, So my goal tonight is to inspire us all to search the word, to be seekers and dig deep and to make sure that our foundation is solid, is solid to inspire us all to have an insatiable appetite for truth. God, whatever the truth is, that's what I want to know. Whatever the truth is, that's what I love. What is the truth? Teach me your truth. And uh, maybe where things have gotten dull, um, because I'm certain that everyone here, there's probably many of you who know way more than me and study a lot more than me. But, um, you know, my prayer is just maybe where things have gotten a little dull, Maybe I could offer some fresh perspective or um, some fresh tools or ideas of of approaching it just a little bit differently and giving a fresh way, a fresh approach to look at God's Word. Um, It's important to have a basic understanding of Scripture, being able to break it down, um, knowing the history, like uh, Josephus, who was a first-century historian, has all kinds of things recorded, wasn't necessarily a a Christ follower or a God follower or anything like that, but... um, it's, it's history. It's not like someone just wrote all of this stuff and we just have to believe it. There is proof. The Old Testament prophecies and the fulfillment of the prophecies in the New Testament and the eyewitnesses who were writing, the, writing their accounts in the, in, the, in the New Testament. It's history. It's proven. It's infallible. It's perfect. Um, so it's important to know, uh, you know, when we're talking to our kids especially, that they know and understand that. Um, Types of books in the Bible. In your Old Testament, you've got books of history, and it's not all in chronological order. They're sectioned off into categories. So in the Old Testament, you've got books of history from Genesis to Esther. It's history. Then you've got your books of poetry, uh, Job through Song of Solomon, your books of prophecy, Isaiah through Malachi, Um, Isaiah through Daniel are the major prophets, and then there's 12 minor prophets, and the difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets is just the length of the book. It has nothing to do with level of importance or anything like that. A prophet's job was to directly hear from God directly and to speak what God said, to speak for God. In the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's that's when the... um, The prophecy of the Messiah came. We have Jesus. He came to earth. He was born. He walked the earth. We have the ministry of Jesus and the death, the burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the eyewitnesses who were there who tell of all of those accounts and all of the miracles. Then we have the book of history in Acts, um, the history of the church and how it all got started. Then we have the letters from Romans to Jude, letters or epistles that are written to churches and some people. Um, And then Revelation is a book of prophecy. And so the Bible is history. Old Testament prophecies, the fulfillment of the New Testament, books written by eyewitnesses. You know, it's not like someone like Joseph Smith in the Mormon religion all of a sudden has a vision. How did this even happen? Joseph Smith has a vision, gets all these people to believe him and follow him. It's just crazy to me. But anyway, that's that's not what our faith is in. Our faith is in Christ Jesus, and it is solid, proof, infallible word of God. Scripture is credible. It's infallible. And we are called 
all of us are called to correctly explain, be able to explain the Word of God, to be able to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we believe and why we believe it and all of that, we should be able to explain that to others to win them to Christ. But that requires careful, diligent work on our part. We don't just read the Bible for for information. It's not just information. We read it for transformation. It is life. It's what we live by. And when we do not put aside the time um, to get spiritual nourishment from God's word, at least this is true for me, I start to operate in the flesh. (laughs) Meaning, I'm not really led by the Holy Spirit that much anymore, and I become shallow, I become selfish, um, I'm easily angered, I'm impatient, I'm not seeing things uh, correctly, you know, my, my thought process is skewed. And so we can ask ourselves, over all the years that I have walked with Christ, are there measurable differences? Are there measurable differences in my walk with Him, in my growth? in my depth, in my knee-jerk reactions to things, and how I deal with temptation? Do I see a difference? And am I seeing progress in my growth and in my relationship with God? The Bible uh, was not given just to satisfy our curiosity. It's to transform us. When we remember that, we can look at the Bible with careful regard and respect. It's the holy, I mean, think about this. It is the holy word of God. I mean, the word, if we truly, truly, really believe believe that, wouldn't we be hanging on every word? Because everything we need is right here. Um, When reading scripture, is there a command that I'm supposed to do? These are just some, some key things to keep in mind when we approach it, asking yourself ahead of time. So you're prepared to learn. So you're prepared to get something out of it, especially if it's something that you've read a million times, right? Um, Is there a command here? Is there an if and then? We see a lot of that in Proverbs. If you do this, then this will happen. Um, Like if you're reading Proverbs, which there's one for every day of the month, it'd be good to just have a Proverbs notebook and have your columns. If and then, how easy is that? If I do this, this will happen. If I don't do this, this will happen. And it's true. Those things really do happen or not happen. Um, And then just pondering as we're we're reading, are there things that I need to adjust in my life? It's like aligning tires. You know, we go get alignment in our tires so that things don't get off. We have to get all new tires because some of them are bald. Um, We have to realign ourselves and make adjustments regularly. Proverbs, what a gift we have in Proverbs. Um, That's a great place to really spend a lot of time. Um, Don't rush. Uh, Search scriptures deliberately and on purpose, consistently and intensely and seriously, being serious about it. Um, When we just casually read the Bible, we miss so much. We miss so much when we just kind of carte blanche read it here and there because there is so much treasure in the Word of God. There are at least five ways I can think of to get the Word of God into us. If you could think of more, you can just shout them out. Number one, hearing. Uh, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, Psalm 119, 130 says, the teaching of your Word 
gives light. The teaching of your word, God, gives light, brings light. When, when light comes, you see, right? Um, when something is dark, you can't see it. So the teaching of God, God's word helps us to see, helps us to see things clearly. So even the simple can understand. It says it gives understanding and perspective. Number two, uh, reading. When reading the word, you can learn how to live differently than you lived before. You can learn how to handle difficult people. You, well, who was that, Aiden? Um, how, you can learn how to go through painful situations. You can go, learn how to uh, deal with painful betrayal and rejection without being eaten up with bitterness and resentment. You can be guided and strengthened through pain and suffering. You can be established when you receive a scary or bad report from the doctor. Number three, studying um, time. This is a little bit more what we're going to talk about tonight is the studying part. Time, um, it takes time to study. You've got to dig. You know, when, when miners are looking for diamonds, they're not looking on the surface. They're not looking just a little below the surface. They're going deep. They're digging deep because there's something really valuable under that, under the, under the ground and under the surface. And so when we approach God's word, and he is not cheap. So the more we seek, the more we're digging and chipping away like we're looking for diamonds and a great treasure, the more he reveals. Because it's the Holy Spirit of God who brings the revelation, who brings the illumination. It's him. And so the more we are after it, the more we're pursuing, the more he reveals. You can, be, you can have read the same passage of Scripture. Let's face it. If you're a Christian your entire life, you've pr probably read it all several times, and you think you know it all. But if you are approaching it with humility, there is something new out of the same thing that you can get every single time. Digging, asking questions, um, engaging your brain, being on a quest for truth writing as you're reading, like having a notebook close by um, and writing things down, or as you're reading, maybe you have questions. There's this lady, um, I, uh, my friend and I, we have this Bible study every Thursday morning called Bible Party, and um, most of the people that come, there could be anywhere between like five and seven of us, I guess, and most of the people that have come are like really new in the Lord, um, with the exception of just a couple. And this one lady who started coming, she came, when she started coming, she went to a Christian science church. And we had no idea, because when people talk about God and stuff, you just assume we're all talking about the same God, but she wasn't. <laughs> and um, But she was just so open, because she was hungry for, for truth. And so we've been guiding her through it. Her name's Karen. She's the sweetest thing ever. I just love her. And on her own, Karen, well, uh, my friend Joy gave her a, a really good Bible with lots of commentary and explanations and things like that. And then she would come and she'd say, I've been reading the Old Testament and I've got questions. And she comes with a notebook and she asks all the hard questions. I just look at Joy and I'm like, you want to take this one? Because it has caused me to have to study a lot more too to know how to answer Karen's questions because they're always they're good questions, but they're always really hard. <laughs> um, but anyway, having a notebook. So when you're reading and you're just like, I don't totally understand that, maybe just jot it down because you will forget. So jot, jotting down the questions, the thoughts that you have, observations, 
that you're making, the background settings of what you're reading, um, uh, anything that would help you understand it better. And you've all heard the, the phrase location, location, location. Well, when it comes to scripture, it's context, context, context. Context is paramount when you're reading scripture, making connections in your own life, things you want to dig out at a later time. I've got in uh, one of my notebooks, you know, I've, I have like a really long list of things I want to study out. I just seem to never have the time. But making a list of those things, like when, when you're thinking about something, just jot it down. I want to study that out. I want to look into that. Or I want to ask some people some questions about that. Um, it involves pen and paper, good old-fashioned pen and paper. I have notes in my phone, but I really do love pen and paper. Um, memorizing. These we're still talking about um, ways to get the word in you. Memorizing. Your word, if I hidden in my heart, like David said in Psalm 119, um, that I might not sin against thee. If you go back and read a few scriptures before that, it talks about like the young man resisting like temptation. It's the word of God that helps us deal with temptation. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee, getting it rooted and grounded on the inside of you. So memorizing scripture, I used to write them all the time. Like when I was in Bible college, I would write scriptures on um, note cards and I would just say it over and over and over. I'd carry it around with me. I'd put it up on my wall. I'd put it on my bathroom mirror and I would just quote it, quote it, quote it, quote it, and quote it. And I still remember those scriptures too this day. Um, so memorizing, it really is important. And uh, the last one on that is meditating. Psalm 119, 15, pondering, reflecting. Um, it helps us meditation, meditating on the word, not on some something weird. Um, it helps us sleep at night, meditating on God's word, thinking about it, pondering it. When we approach the Bible, we should pray. Uh, we should approach it with integrity, uh, with a pure and a right heart. Um, we should approach it with a personal desire. Um, like I pray all the time that God would give me, because I don't always desire. I don't always feel that way. Sometimes I feel way more passionate about Scripture than other times. Sometimes my attention is way over here and just really not that interested today. So I pray all the time, God, would you please give me an insatiable desire for truth and for your word, an insatiable desire for it. Um, not being careless, not being casual with it, investing time, um, time to ponder, time to meditate, time to turn thoughts in your mind as you're reading instead of just buzzing through it. And I'm not against devotions, but, um, you know, like little books that have, oh, here's a day that you just read this and it's someone else's thoughts, you know. Um, I guess it's okay, but there's, it doesn't take the place of studying and reading the word on your own and getting revelation directly from God because you're looking for it and he's going to give it to you. Um, there's some practical techniques on how to dig deeper into scripture, um, like mining for diamonds, like I was talking about. Number one, observation. So there's four, four key points here. Marcus likes the points, the very organized points. Observation, here they are, babe. Observation, interpretation, correlation, and application. Observation, what does it say? Plain and simple. What does the text 
actually say. Um, it's really easy. Referring to, um, like, Psalm 119, for example. If you read Psalms 119, it's really long. <laughs> but if you, one of the observations that you'll make when you're reading it is that almost in every scripture, with the exception of about four, maybe, it's about God's word. Every single scripture talks about the word of God, his commandments, his precepts, his laws, um, and, and those types of things. It's referring to his commands. That's an observation. Um, observations answer the question, what does the Bible say? It's the process of seeing what it actually says. You aren't answering questions at this point. You're not adding something with your imagination. Um, you're just simply reading the words on the page. You go back and you read scriptures before, scriptures after, so it's in the right context. But you just sit and you ponder and you make every observation. I mean, you nitpick that scripture. Every single word has a purpose. And you're observing everything the scripture says. And I guarantee you, when you do this, you'll see new things that you've never seen before. Carefully reading, thinking about what it actually says. Number two, interpretation. It's learning what the Bible means. Every verse in scripture means something. Every single one. Uh, when, when one verse is tied together with other verses, there's an e even deeper meaning. Number three, correlation. And I'm going to come back to these in just a second. It is comparing. So when you're correlating scriptures, you're comparing one scripture with another scripture. Um, remember, scripture always interprets scripture. So if you don't understand something that you're reading, keep reading. <laughs> um, uh, my friend Joy and I, we text back and forth all the time, like what we're reading, and we get all excited about Jesus, and we just talk, and we read, and um, so we'll, if we don't understand something, we'll text each other, like, what do you think about this scripture, or have you ever read this, or whatever, and uh, <laughs> she texted me one day and said, okay, I totally don't get this. What does this mean? And she texted it to me, and I said, I was voice texting, and I said, keep reading, and it said, keep reading reading. And she's like, what? I curse you in Jesus' name. I will not keep reading. Anyway, um, it was just funny. She has two small kids, and she's like, that was a horrible suggestion to hear from me. Anyway, uh, <laughs> okay, so correlation. Um, one of the reasons uh, that you need a concordance when you're studying is our uh, you know, correlation is good for this. Like when I'm studying recently, I had a bunch of questions about angels, which I still don't fully understand, but I understand a little more than I did before. I looked up um, in my concordance every scripture that I could find on angels. Then I hand wrote them out, <laughs> um, which took a long time, but it helps me process and understand it and see it and um, I mean, and it looks really great in my notebook. It looks like I'm really spiritual because all this writing in there. But anyway, um, so, yeah, the concordance really helps us with correlating, finding scriptures that relate to each other. And the more scriptures you memorize, the more things that you know, you just automatically, you're like, oh, this reminds me of that scripture. And then you go back and read it, and you see how they correlate and how they complement each other and how they help interpret each other. When one doesn't make sense, the other one gives light to it. So... Um, let's see here. Yeah, scriptures, they harmonize with one another. They never contradict each other. And the fourth one, application, it is the crowning benefit of Bible study is application. Um, it's putting it to everyday use in our lives, in our decisions, in our struggles, in our finances. 
um, our relationships, our home, our family, our gains, our losses, our leadership, our forgiveness, and a thousand more other things, um, applying it to everything, applying God's word to everything. Um, so, you know, I just mentioned the concordance, some helpful uh, tools for Bible study. If you're just like just reading the Bible, there's so much more that you could use to help you understand it. Um, having a, a Bible dictionary, just a regular dictionary, and then anymore you can just Google about anything, not that you believe everything the internet says, but there are some great Bible tools on the internet that you can use, resources that will help you understand a setting, help you understand, like if the Bible's talking about servants, you could look that up in the Bible dictionary, and it'll give you the history of it and help you understand um, what that passage is actually saying. Um, having a concordance... Of course, you need a Bible. Um, a good set of maps. Um, when, like when I'm reading, and I, so you say you're reading about Paul's missionary journeys, and being able to look on the maps and, and just see it and visualize where he went and the, the route that he took and the distance that he traveled, and that just helps bring revelation. Um, so it's helpful to have a current map of the land of Israel so you can understand where the corresponding locations are today. Uh, when you familiarize yourself with geography of a story, you can better understand the context. Um, okay, so going back to observation, um, let's turn to let's turn to John three sixteen. If that wasn't the first scripture everybody learned as a child, I'm sure it was one of them. John three sixteen. Um, Okay, someone just quote it for me. Someone say it. What's that? Louder. You're right, Amy. It does say that. Um, so that's a scripture that we've all read, we've all heard, we've all known for so long. So today... When I was um, studying, I took that scripture, and I took a lot of time. I mean, I got carried away. I sat, and I read that scripture, and I looked at every word, and I looked for God so loved the world. Okay, the world being, um, it excludes no one, right? So I just, I went through that scripture, and I, I just read it, and then I read, I went, I kept going back, and finally I went back to the beginning of the chapter, and I was reading about Nicodemus and how, um, you know, he snuck away in the middle of the night to talk to Jesus and all of these things, and um, I kind of want us to go together, go through that together and look at the observations that we can make in that passage, but um, before I do that, it takes intentionality, looking carefully with, with attention to detail, all the detail, to inspect and uh, think about Sherlock Holmes, uh, where he used to say to his friend Watson, Watson, you see, but you do not observe. Um, we need to pay attention to every noun, every verb, every adjective, every adverb, every pronoun, um, like even little bitty words could turn a light on and help you understand something or see something that you've never seen before. Um, so let's go ahead and do that. Okay, John chapter 3. Okay, now we are 
um, we're going to pay attention to detail, paying attention to all of the words and making as many observations as we can about this passage as possible. And um, these are the ones that I made today. <laughs> Out of, um, I started in John 3.16, and then I just kept going and going and going, and I made all of these observations, some that I had not ever considered or known before. So it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? Yet you don't understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how are you going to believe when I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. And I'll just stop there. Okay, so based on that, what are some observations that, um, that we can make? Anybody? Yeah, with their head. It's believing. Anybody else? One of the observations I made was um, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he said, we know. So he's, you know, he was a Pharisee. So he, they all knew. <laughs> but he, I thought it took humility. I think... Um, an observation would be he came at night, so he was probably afraid to be caught or for it to be, you know, known that he went there to talk to Jesus. Um, it, another thing that I noticed in here was, okay, so this was written by John, the Apostle John, who's also very known for saying, I'm the one the Lord loves. That's how he refers to himself. You know, he gets a lot of flack for that. Like, who does he think he is? I'm the one the Lord loves. But, I mean, if you really think, I was thinking about this today. You know, he had, you know, he's the one who's got his head on Jesus' chest. And he had this relationship with Jesus that was very loving, very affectionate. And, um, and his love, and then you see here later in his account, 
where it says, for God so loved the world. This is John's account. This is the way John's explaining it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I mean, I just felt the emotion of it, like when I was reading it today from John's perspective and how he felt, you know, when you're reading, when reading a passage like this, going there with all of your senses, you know, seeing it, putting yourself in that situation, imagining it, um, imagining maybe it's okay, it's dark and the fire is probably crackling and he sneaks to, um, to come talk to Jesus and Jesus was probably, um, I'm sure he was smiling and glad to see Nicodemus and it was his pleasure to give him time and answer questions and, and to talk with him and to tell him the truth and to explain salvation and what it means to be born again and, um, you know, just picturing everything that we're reading, just picturing it and making it come alive in your mind. Um, I mean, I won't belabor this point, but, you know, when you're reading tomorrow or whenever, um, imagine, picture yourself in these situations and scenarios, paint a picture, and it will um, give revelation. Were you going to say something? Yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's a great, that's perfect. That's what I'm talking about, making those observations. But if we're just skimming through, we don't really see that. We don't really think about that. That revelation comes from the Holy Spirit. So anybody else? Any other observations on that? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was kind of pondering on that today, wondering it's like okay, was was Nicodemus laying awake in his bed at night thinking about all of this, you know, it was going to cost him if he came out and said what he was thinking, you know, and, um, but he had these convictions on the inside and these questions. And so, yeah, it's like, was he, 
when did he start thinking about it? And when, but I believe that his, he had a good heart, and I think that's why he was, able to, he was able to go there. He was able to ask those questions because, um, I mean, it doesn't seem like he was as full of pride as the rest of them. You know, they weren't even, well, it says they knew, but they, they still, you know, they were jealous. Um, but he really did want the truth. So, anybody else? I know, we, ho- we hope he got saved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then jot those questions down and ask my friend Joy. <laughs> um, yes, you tell her. <laughs> um, uh, so, yes, yeah, so lots and lots of observations that you can make. And, um, like, write them down. Go back and, and study and, and search it out a little bit more. Um, like, if you're reading, uh, still talking about making the observations, if let's say you're reading like in Corinthians, let's say you're studying Corinthians, that's your focus study. I mean, go ahead and like in your mind, become a member of the church in Corinth and put yourself in that place. It was a dysfunctional church, you know, and maybe you, you've already been <laughs> somewhere like that, I don't know. But just like feeling that and trying to understand it from a different perspective, um, it really does bring more light to Scripture. Uh, let's see here. Um, anything else? Anybody else have anything to say about the observations or anything? All right. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to figure out what I want to talk about next. Isabel said when we left, she said, oh, the good thing about you talking tonight is we'll get out early. <laughs> I said, well, I do have a lot of notes, so um, let's see here. Um, pay attention to emphasize themes in a book or a passage. Pay attention when words are repeated, like in Proverbs. There's a lot of verses in Proverbs that say, my son or my child. So when I see that, I'm thinking that something I'm observing is it's apparent teaching a child. That's our responsibility as parents, to teach and to give them wisdom. Or when we see words repeated like a name where Saul, Saul, or Martha, Martha, or, or verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly. Why is that emphasis there? Um, digging a little bit deeper to find out why the emphasis, what point is he trying to make? Um, pay attention to things related in a passage, like if there's an if and a then things that are related, um, promises and rewards, uh, if uh, sin and consequences. Look for words like as, like as the deer, as and so, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. There's a comparison there. And then maybe research that out and dig a little bit deeper. Don't just read past it, um, but dig. 
as the, um, as the deer, so my soul longs. Um, so observation is careful consideration. Start prayerfully, go slowly, read carefully, think deeply, and feel passionately. Engage your senses. Put yourself in those situations. Um, we can hone our observation skills by using all of our senses. By Okay, so maybe do this exercise. Next time you go to a familiar restaurant or a coffee shop or something like that, a place that's familiar, then on purpose... Try to notice things that you've never noticed before. Um, make a careful observation of things around you um, using your senses and maybe write those things down. Um, it's just a, a good exercise to get used to doing that sort of thing. Um, creating the scene in your imagination affects your understanding of it. Interpretation. We have to handle God's word responsibly and accurately. Um, what does the scripture actually mean? We have to guard against error. Think, just remember, this is God's word, and he does not take kindly to uh, being misrepresented, and so especially if, you know, if a person's heart is wrong. So we need to make sure that we are guarding against error and rightly dividing, rightly and accurately interpreting, asking God for discernment. Scripture interprets scripture interpretation is not our opinions. It's not what it means to me. It's what it means, period, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you don't want to lead anybody astray up here. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, that, that is really good. You guys probably have to think twice as hard as the rest of us. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, so regarding against error, we're not um, interpreting according to our opinions or what we've been taught our whole life and then just finding scripture to prove what we think or prove what we what we believe want to know what it really, really means. Um, Psalm 119.27 says, um, help me understand. It's a prayer. Lord, help me understand the meaning of your commandments, and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. Um, when we're interpreting, we have to consider cultural differences. Um, again, context, context, context. Uh, we can use dictionaries, Bible dictionaries, commentaries. We can ask a friend or, you know, talking about it with someone that you trust, that you know has an understanding of Scripture. Um, yeah, um, yeah, it, you have to also take into account the, the language differences, too, when, you know, the Old Testament was written in um, Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek. I often use the Strong's Concordance to look up words sometimes to find out really where it came from, and that will also shed light on some things and help me understand it a little bit better. Um, understand what type of literature you're reading. Am I reading a historical book? Is this a poetic book? Is this a prophecy? Um, so just knowing um, what kind of literature it is. Um, also, what does God want me to learn here? What, it, what is he wanting me to, to understand? Um, when we're interpreting parables, we have to be really careful not to stretch it too far. That's really easy to do when you stretch the meaning too far. Um, stick to what it, it really means. Okay, correlating. 
When we're correlating, this is really important. Scripture interprets Scripture. We can get off track if we isolate one Scripture and just focus on that when there's so many other Scriptures that help us understand that one. Um, and accurately interpreting involves correlation. Um, correlate To correlate means to have a mutual relationship or connection where one thing affects or depends on another. Things that are complementary to each other. There is no error in Scripture, period. There is no error in it. But sometimes we might think there's an error or we don't understand something because we're not correlating it with um, other Scriptures that bring out the true meaning. Um, what we have in Scripture is 66 individual parts of one perfectly coordinated book written by 40 humans with um, human authors with one divine author who is the Holy Spirit. Um, someone once said, and I thought this was really good, someone once said that orthodoxy was like walking along a narrow ridge. Um, one step to either side was one step to disaster. Jesus is God and man. God is love and holiness. Christianity is grace and morality. Christians live in this world and the world of eternity. Overemphasize either side of these great two-sided truths and immediately destructive heresy emerges. <laughs> so no pressure, but <laughs> stay, stay in the straight line. Um, but that is true because like when you're reading scripture, like grace, for example, Obviously, we are completely dependent upon the grace of God. It's only by God's grace that we are saved and faith in him. Um, but at the same time, we can't, you know, take all of these crazy liberties and just live and act however we want because of grace. And so just correlating scripture so that we understand that and what that means. Um, so understanding this is one of the reasons why correlation is so important. If you don't understand something, keep Reading, not breeding. Um, we always need to pray, Lord, help keep me balanced. Help me to know, this is, this is good, help me to know that I am free from the legalistic demands of others, but help me to not assume that I'm just free to do whatever I want to do. We need to be, um, we need the kind of liberty um, that releases us from legalism, but guides us into the obedience of Christ, to Christ, and the marvelous truths set out for us in the scripture, which is holy, perfect word of God. There are a lot of instructions in here. There are things that, you know, things that are blatantly sins, but a lot of times people are afraid to say those things today. Um, so we need to not have, so we need liberty from human legalism, but still obedient to Christ. Does that make sense? Um, uh, here's a correlation example on prayer. So, you know, in Mark eleven twenty three and 24, For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed, be cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith, and what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I went to Ramah. <laughs> so that's a, that was a big, big scripture that we, you know, learned and drilled um, there in Bible school. But you could easily take that so out of context. If you're like commanding this mountain, if I'm commanding the mountain to move here and you're commanding the mountain to move here, and I mean, how confusing is that? The key is praying according to the will of God. James said, you have not because you ask not. 
Or you ask and you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives and now you're angry and you're like full of all this bitterness and rancor because you're asking with wrong motives. Uh, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, according to his will, we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask. If we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. So it's according to his will. He gives us an example of how to pray in Matthew 6. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be, is it Matthew 6? Um, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, you know, you know the prayer. Um, and so it's really, uh, you think about the persistent widow in Luke 18, you know, her persistence in prayer. You have to take it in context, and you're correlating all these scriptures. So if you're studying prayer or one doesn't make sense to you, look up every scripture on prayer that you can think of, and then correlate them and write them out and to see what he's really trying to say. Um, any, any questions or thoughts on that? No? Um, be careful not to build a doctrine on one verse. Um, correlation is like a safety valve. Um, it's like a valve that acts as a fail-safe, and it just helps keep us from getting into error when we correlate. And then the last one, application, James 4.17 um, says it's a, sin to do, it's a sin to know to do something and not do it. Um, so application, like spend, it's like spending all of this time creating this big, amazing meal on Thanksgiving. You've put time and effort, and it smells so good, and it looks amazing, and the table is gorgeous, and you spend all this time, you get it ready, and then you don't even sit down and eat. That's kind of what it's like when you don't apply the Word of God to your life. It means, application means taking God's Word personally, applying it personally. It's allowing the Bible's truths to grip us in areas of our lives that need attention. And some are a call to action, um, like looking in the mirror, seeing things that we didn't see if we weren't looking. Um, it's how transformation truly comes. Applying the Word of God is how you actually become transformed by doing, being doers of the word and not hearers only, like James said, deceiving your own self. So when you are only a hearer and you're not applying, you are living in deception. It's like, you know, thinking you look great and then you see a picture of yourself and you're like, dang, I put on 20 pounds and I didn't even know it. Um, that's kind of what it's like. When application becomes overlooked, doctrine becomes dry and lifeless. So maybe if you are at a dry place in your life or when you're going to the Word and you're like, oh, whatever, blah, um, when was the last time you took something personally and really applied it and let it change you um, in a spirit of humility? When application becomes overlooked, we substitute rationalization for repentance. Repentance is part of our Christian life. We repent when we have sin. Um, when we feel sad, when we feel sad about sin in our life, but there's no application of the truth, no action, it's just an emotion. Um, when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that is such a good thing. That means God is at work in us, and the application is in the response. 
to that conviction. It often means making tough decisions, confessing things that are hidden, sacrifice, things that are painful to the flesh. Application involves self-examination. This is walking with God. Um, He speaks or convicts or whatever it is. You respond. That's taking a step. And it happens again and again and again. He speaks. You respond. You take a step. Walking with God. Okay. Uh, last, this is the last thing. So when we approach, these are just some really good questions to ask yourself in a prayerful attitude when you approach the Word or when you're studying something or reading something. Um, think about what's going on in your life. I mean, really, it takes a minute. Just really observe the different things that are going on in your life and ask yourself these questions. Um, is there a promise from God's Word that I need to claim? Is there a prayer that I need to offer? Is there a sin I need to confess? Is there a verse that I should memorize? Is there a command that I need to obey? Is there a habit that I need to break? Is there a challenge that I need to stop running from? Is there a fear that I need to overcome? Is there a person that I need to forgive? Is there someone I have offended with whom I need to make things right? Instead of just saying, Lord, show me what I need to know, ask specifically because the more specific you are, the more specific he'll be in the answers and the direction that he gives you. And the last thing is go to the word of God unguarded. Unguarded. No walls, no chip on your shoulder, completely humble, teachable, um, with an attitude of pursuit. You're pursuing him, pursuing him in in the relationship with him, pursuing truth, his truth, being active in that pursuit of intimacy uh, with him and knowing him. And um, and that path leads to wholeness and righteousness. So that's all I have. Before we pray, does anybody have anything else to share along any of those lines or... um, what are some of the things you guys are, have been studying in the Word? Or do you guys have a particular direction that you've been in lately? Yes, and not all translations are super accurate either. You know, um, but I won't get into all that. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, absolutely. When you have two people on the same page like that, it's awesome. 
because God can speak to you both and, and when you're making decisions together and when you're, yeah, and our personalities are different. You've got man and woman dynamics and then you've got personality differences and so one might see something that another doesn't see and vice versa and yeah, it is, it's really cool when you can get lost in those conversations because there is a lot, there's depth in the word, you know, so anybody else? Perry told me that if I'm past 8.30, he's going to, well, it just turned 8.30, um, he's going to let all the kids run in here. <laughs> ah. No. They're out there. I know I can hear them. Okay, well, uh, let's pray if nobody has anything else. All right, um, Lord, God, thank you so much, God, for revealing yourself to us in your word. Thank you for the freedom, God, that we have. God, to read it and to be bold in our, our confession and profession of you and our faith. Lord, and um, I just pray that in the days and weeks to come, that each and every one of us would have just really special time with you, God, that you would reveal yourself in a very personal, intimate way to each of us. God, I pray that you would help us to seek you, help us to learn, help us to to be grounded, help us to have a solid foundation that cannot be shaken. Give us opportunities to share truth. Help us, Lord, fill our mouths with the words to speak. Help us to be able to um, articulate the gospel. Help us to be able to um, connect with people um, spiritually, Lord. And I pray that um, more than anything that you would draw us nearer to you and um, that we would find so much joy in our relationship with you and seeking you. I pray for fresh revelation for all of us, and we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you're dismissed, and have a good night.